It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. As we take the air today, schools are preparing to open the doors for a new year, bringing the excitement of a fresh start and really for the first time in three years, limited impact by COVID-19. It does not mean we are COVID-free, but it is significantly better than where we've been at the start of school the past few years. On today's program, we'll get you the latest on COVID, monkeypox, and everything you should know at the start of the school year when it comes to your children's health and your health. Later in our program, we'll be joined by the lead health officer for our community who will be leaving soon to take a new role with the Washington State Department of Health. We'll connect with Dr. Amy Person, who has played such a key role in guiding our community through the pandemic. And first, speaking of key roles, uh, Heather Hill, the Benton Franklin Health District's Communicable Disease Program Manager, with the health district and such a key player for us in the past uh, two and a half years as we've tried to provide the latest COVID information for you. But Heather, I guess an initial question, we touched on the word monkeypox and of course COVID. What, I guess, where do we begin tonight as far as what, in, what um, I guess, topic are you hearing the most about in your office at this point? Well, it really is kind of a, a toss-up. Uh, we still get a lot of inquiries and requests for information on on COVID, particularly with regard to vaccines and testing. But I would say close behind, I'm getting a lot of calls about monkeypox from, you know, the worried well in the community and wanting a little bit more information. So I think they're both, you know, very timely topics for this evening. You know, it's similar to COVID, I recall, way back those many months ago and sometimes a little bit of a couple of years ago, those cases, you know, when the variants would appear, the, oh, there's a few cases, and then the next week and the next week it would expand. And I think the last time we spoke a few months ago, uh, there was the first case of monkeypox in our state. And uh, since then, it's it seems to have grown. What is the level of concern, and what would you like people to know that are listening tonight? I think with regard to monkeypox, we need to, um, you know, really understand the mechanism of what monkeypox is and how it's transmitted. It's a relatively new virus to the United States, not that we haven't seen it in the past. We certainly did see a small outbreak in 2003 when some rodents were imported from Africa to an importer for pets. And these, you know, unfortunately, these little rodents did bring monkeypox with them and infected some prairie dogs who then went out to their forever home and took monkeypox with them. So back in 2003, we did see a very small little flurry of 71 people in the U.S. getting monkeypox. And then we hadn't seen it again until this this current situation, this current outbreak that we're, we're dealing with right now. And you know, we did see, um, you know, the first U.S. case was May 17, and the first Washington case was May 27. And then we did have our first um, case here in Benton County uh, not too many weeks ago, and we have subsequently had another uh, case in the last couple of weeks in Benton County as well. 
So we expect to see continuing numbers. But again, it goes back to remember how it's transmitted. And I think the most important takeaway message that I can give tonight regarding this is you have to have very close skin-to-skin contact with somebody who has the monkeypox lesions in order to transmit it. It's not something that you can catch casually. Um, You really have to have that um, extended skin-to-skin contact. I know a lot of people say, well, it's sexual contact. No, we're not really seeing that it's a sexually transmitted infection, but it is a skin-to-skin contact transmission scenario. And so we're really seeing it, at least in the United States right now, in a primarily adult population, and it's mostly in uh, men who have sex with men right now. But we know that um, these viruses will infect anybody that it can set up as a a living environment. And we would expect to see it go into the heterosexual population. We would expect, as we've seen, a very rare few cases in the adolescent population as well. So at this point in time, it's really not a time to panic, but to educate yourself, understand your risk. And I think going back into school it's a good time to talk about this because kids get rash infections. Kids get chicken pox. Kids get molluscum contagiosum. They get these rashes. And unfortunately, right now we're seeing the general public and, and some providers automatically saying, oh, my goodness, could it be maybe it is monkeypox, rather than realizing, okay, what was your risk for catching the infection that you appear to have? And if you don't have that risk, that would put you, you know, in the proximity of somebody with monkeypox, then let's look for other things that it could be because we don't want to miss those diagnoses either. Since monkeypox looks a lot like chickenpox, even though they're not related, um, we would expect to see, and we have seen some misdiagnoses, or, you know, early on considering maybe it is monkeypox when in reality it really was chickenpox. So being informed, knowledgeable, understanding risk, understanding transmission. And then the other side of it is when we truly do have somebody who tests positive positive for monkeypox or is highly, highly likely to have monkeypox, they have the risk factor, they have the symptoms, they're getting tested, then we need to make sure that that individual in our community has access to the treatment drugs as well because we do have um, T-pox which is the pill that you can take to help um, lessen the symptoms of the monkeypox. We get them from the strategic national stockpile, and providers do have access to that if they feel that they would like to have them on stock for their, their patients that may come in. And it does seem to decrease the severity much quicker of the symptoms of monkeypox. You touched on... And then we look at... I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you, you touched on all of the... the, the the keyword seems to be context, but is there any concern that that this could spread beyond these high-risk populations or most at-risk populations? You know, there's certainly concern. And when we look at other countries such as Africa, where it's uh, much more widespread throughout the general population, in fact, the first person that appears to have ever gotten monkeypox historically was a child who was actually playing with some of the local wild animals 
monkeys, um, rodents. We know it's highly, highly likely rodent is what brought it into the human population. And so in that situation, unfortunately, it ended up in a child, an adolescent, and kind of spread from there. So honestly, it really is whoever gets exposed is likely to get infected if the type of contact is such that it puts them at risk. So would we expect to see it go beyond the the population we're seeing it in right now? Absolutely. At some point in time, it's very likely to. But what we want to do is have people to be extremely knowledgeable in how not to spread it. Um, we are trying to get vaccines into those very, very high-risk populations to also help stop the spread or for people who have had a genuine, I was exposed through extended skin-to-skin contact with somebody who has been diagnosed with monkeypox, getting the vaccine into them quickly after that exposure can either stop them from coming down with it or at least prevent them from ending up with very, very severe um, illness, severe symptoms from this virus. Visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District talking about the latest with monkeypox, and I think the key word is context. Go to the Benton Franklin Health District's website at bfhd.wa.gov for the latest context that you can arm yourself with. When we come back, we're going to get into more of the current state of COVID as well as how families can make sure their children are as healthy uh, as possible going into the new school year, COVID or otherwise. Back with that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we're visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, as we are on the air today, school begins in a week here in our community. And maybe if you would compare from last year, the year before, so the first two full years of COVID, where we are as we get ready to head into this school year relative to the pandemic, or are we still in a pandemic? Well, we're you know certainly still in what would be considered a pandemic, but we're definitely seeing some improvements going into this school year versus the last couple of school year. We know that case rates are a lot lower than they were a year ago, but I I think what families need to remember, even though our case rates are lower, our hospitals, our, our healthcare facilities are doing quite well, they're not overburdened, we need to remember that COVID hasn't gone away and it's probably here to stay for um, probably years to come. And it needs to be understood that there are certain things we'll need to continue to do to help protect ourselves against this infection, just like we do many other illnesses that are circulating out there. Um, you know, our, our response to the health department also is decreasing, so we won't be as involved with our school districts. But they all have such really good staff that have been working hard over the last couple of years to make sure that the classroom and the school environment is as safe as possible for our children so that they can be in-person learning environments. We know that's the best for them. Um, And the good news is with our current status with, with COVID, it shouldn't be impacting our schools nearly to the level it has over the last school years. But one thing you can certainly do to keep your kids 
as healthy and safe as possible is to get them vaccinated. There is such strong evidence that these vaccines are very good. They work. They don't cause any um, significant problems in the long run with taking these vaccines. But what they do do is help that child avoid the illnesses that come with catching COVID and then potentially passing it on to other students or maybe even a vulnerable uh, adult that they happen to be in the school district with. So, you know, good news going into this school year. But, you know, we also need to look at our, our wastewater concentrations are telling us it's still pretty um, high in our community. Those concentrations are high. But the flip side of that is our hospitalizations are not. So that's the good side. And with hospitalizations, I know at Catholic, at least where I work, the hospital continues to be very busy. But a lot of that has to do with with the same thing that's plaguing a lot of other industries, and that's staffing. And it's all across the healthcare industry, and, and it creates these bottlenecks with these long length of stay patients. And that's not necessarily attributed to COVID, but it doesn't mean they're less busy. So I think... I think, you know, I guess the question is, I, I talked to you a year ago, we were in that Delta variant was when it, probably the most devastating mm-hmm. part of COVID, really, if you think about it. And thankfully, we're not at that point and we're much in a much better situation. But are you, do you think as we go, people should, you know, they, I think they've just gotten numb to the whole thing. So whether regardless of what we say, you say, I say, or anyone says about it. You know, they've kind of gotten a little numb to it, but it's like, do we just need to make sure that we understand that we have to keep this uh, somewhat present in our lives? Just like any um, vaccine-preventable illness or, you know, respiratory virus or other illness that can circulate through the community, there's so much that we can do to protect ourselves and our families and our loved ones. And and the first thing is, is getting those vaccines in both your kids and, and your arms so that you are protected. Get those boosters on board. The um, bivalent uh, mRNA vaccines should be coming out in the very, very near future. And that's what we hope to do is to get more people vaccinated in, in very few weeks with that bivalent to protect them against a couple of the variants. You know, it's also important to remember all those other mitigation strategies and, and kind of normalize them in your life. It's normal to get kids vaccinated for school. It's normal to get your your flu vaccine. It's normal to get your COVID vaccine now as well to protect you and your family going into, you know, especially the winter months. Uh, use good respiratory hygiene. If you're feeling ill, stay home. If your child is ill, Please keep them home using good hand washing techniques, just like with flu prevention, cold prevention. COVID prevention means you should wash your hands frequent. You should wash them often. Keep your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth. And honestly, I think masks need to be part of our our normal respiratory hygiene routine going from here forward. You see it in many, many other countries where people, if they're just not feeling quite right and they have to go out into public, they will put a mask on just to protect other people from maybe that little bit of a cold that they're suffering. Um, Staying home from work is important, too, and I know a lot of people don't have the luxury of necessarily having sick leave, but employers need to be very conscientious about letting their employees take time off when they're ill 
so that they're not spreading it to others, especially those employees in some of the high-risk environments. And one of our biggest concerns right now still is with our long-term care settings because we are seeing continuing um, continued outbreaks in our most vulnerable populations, which are those long-term care housing situations. And so we need to be very careful that we continue to protect them by making sure they are getting vaccinated, the employees are getting vaccinated that are going to take care of them, they're staying home if they're sick, and then you as a visitor, as a friend or a family member, make sure you're not taking something into that situation that could actually cause that vulnerable person to become ill. Because unfortunately, we still are seeing two to three deaths weekly in our area from COVID alone. You touched on the the word vaccination, and and I I've kind of lost track. You know, booster, double booster, and all of these things. <laughs> you had touched on, I think, you know, when we visited uh, during the course of this, that at some point we'll probably have just like a flu shot, an annual COVID related shot. Is that what you're referring to with this this new one that's coming out, or are we there yet where we're going to probably just like we get a flu shot going to be getting a COVID shot as well every year? You know, we suspect that the people who have been pretty proactive at getting their COVID shots and their boosters, or for those 50 and older, that second booster, they're going to be pretty on top of, well, is it time? Is it fall? I'm getting my flu shot. Should I be getting my COVID shot as well? And what's the COVID shot for this year look like? Well, right now it's heading into the fall. It looks like we're going to have the bivalent uh, COVID shot available. And um, it certainly can be taken at the exact same time as you get your annual flu shot. So I suspect we'll get into this kind of as a routine that in the fall you think about your COVID shot update, your flu shot update, and any other vaccines that you you should be updated at that time. Fall's a really good time to think about that. And you know, speaking of vaccines and kids and getting them back in school. Um, we saw that during COVID, a lot of kids didn't get to their provider to keep their their vaccines or routine vaccines up to date. And so it's really important. You're looking at your kids' records. You're taking them in to get vaccinated. Great time to get your kid vaccinated if they haven't been for COVID as they're heading back to school. Let's keep them as healthy as possible during the school year. That was going to be my next question, because I know one of the things with this is this new bivalent, as you're describing it, that that's designed to to deal with these variants of pop up. So that's the effectiveness or the beauty of what that's supposed to be providing. Right. And that's the that's the exciting thing about the mRNA technology is it can take a long time to figure out a vaccine and get it created and ready for market, but these mRNA technologies really make it a lot quicker, easier, more efficient to make the changes that have to happen to to meet the need of the variant that's coming around, much like every year it's it's typically a different flu shot looking for the different strains that are likely to come our way. Well, we have the ability to do that somewhat with the COVID vaccine as well. And that's just really exciting when you work in the world of vaccines like I do. So bottom line is uh, school starts next week is uh, just be vigilant, be uh, use these protocols that we've all been ingrained to us and just take them to heart and live your life. Yeah, make it a normal part of your life and your children's life and it will become habit 
and everybody is going to be healthier through the school year for it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I I don't mean to put you on the spot, but our next guest is Dr. Amy Person, and uh, she's going to be leaving soon. But I'd just like to have you reflect as a colleague of hers, uh, maybe a comment leading into her interview, but what what has she meant to this community from a health standpoint? Amy um, has been an amazing, amazing, conscientious professional who the thing I appreciate about her most is the fact that she listens, she studies, she comes to conclusions through very logical, scientific-based processes because she has such a passion for kids, for health, for the community. Um, We're going to really miss her and all the work she's done. She's just been one of my favorite people to work with in my 39 years at Benton Franklin Health District, and I know the state is really lucky to have her in the communities she's going to be working with. They're already excited because they know what she's like, and they're excited that they're coming into her communities to help them. Apologies for putting you on the spot, but I wanted to at least make sure you had that opportunity. We're going to visit with Dr. Thank Amy you. Person right after this. Thanks to Heather. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And simply, uh, our theme as we continue our program is public health. And today, we honor Dr. Amy Person, who after more than 10 years is leaving her role as the District Health Officer of the Benton Franklin Health District. Dr. Person is leaving to work with the Washington State Department of Health, kind of, I guess, in a similar role, serving as one of the department's regional health officers. And first, Dr. Person, I guess I want to say congratulations on your new role, and you will certainly be missed in this community. And and I just want to first say thank you for your service. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, It's always a little uh, bittersweet uh, leaving a position, um, particularly uh, one where I've been lucky enough to work so closely with a lot of great people, uh, not just the, the staff at the health district, but a lot of great people out in our um, community, our community leaders, healthcare leaders, and, and I will say just um, so many of the residents in Benton and Franklin counties. Now, you have been the district health officer for our two-county region, and now I, I think I called you a regional health officer. So is it, in essence, doing what you're doing, but with a larger geographic focus? It's actually a, a different kind of a job a little bit, um, and, and technically our, our title is regional medical officer, um, and I know that doesn't sound like there's that much difference, but um, they actually were very intentional at the Department of Health um, using that particular word uh, because local health officers um, have certain authorities in the state of Washington um, that are granted to them by Washington law, and the regional medical officers, uh, we are not at all looking to um, take over any of that authority um, or to uh, usurp um, anything that any of the local health officers will be doing. 
Um, our role is uh, really twofold. Uh, one of them is to um, provide support where needed for local health departments um, so that uh, the State Department of Health has reach that is a little bit um, more closely connected rather than trying to reach all the way from uh, Olympia, you know, out here um, to Eastern Washington to provide support. Um, there's now state support that is more closely located. Now, is the region that you will be focusing on, is it, does it include our region? Uh, actually, the region I will uh, be covering uh, doesn't include Bentner Franklin counties. It, um, the Central Corridor, um, as they call it, uh, is five counties, uh, Grant, Deland Douglas, Kittitas, and Okanagan. Um, but that isn't to say that um, if there wasn't a need um, for me to, to do something in, in this area or, or, frankly, in any area uh, in the state, that I wouldn't show up to do it because, the, again, the regional medical officers, um, we're going to be here to provide uh, support uh, wherever it's needed across the state. And is it like during COVID, as, we, as I start to reflect on the last uh, three years and the public health component, the way COVID came, it didn't all just descend on the entire state. It came in waves, if you will. And is that kind of what this structure is, is in, in, entitled and entailed to be, is that it would be more, you know, where if it if it if hits somewhere here, uh, we know it might get to the other parts, but it's not going to be just a uniform way of, of uh, impacting. Yes, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, the model before this, really, we just had the state and we had our um, local health departments. Uh, so it was harder to be more flexible and more uh, fluid to respond to changes that were not happening at the same time everywhere across the state. Uh, so by having the regional medical officers, um, it does provide that that greater flexibility. Um, and one of the other important roles that it will fill is that, um, unfortunately, through COVID, um, we saw uh, a number of local health departments um, lose their local health officers, um, whether uh, because they retired or, or moved to other jobs or some of them because they were, you know, were forced out. Um, so it can be hard um, for a local health department to to get someone hired right away, or it can be hard sometimes uh, to find somebody to fill in um, if a local health officer has to take medical leave. Uh, so this is another way for uh, the State Department of Health um, to provide uh, a tangible resource, bodies to fill in um, if they're needed. Now, you've been in your current role with Benton and Franklin Health for more than 10 years, and I would guess it's safe to say that COVID is what you remember most and not just because it's been the most recent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I will say uh, COVID <laughs> is definitely um, ranks up there for a, a variety of reasons, um, some good, some bad. Uh, but, yeah, it could... definitely has had an impact on, on me personally and professionally. 
And I know as it's been going on for, gosh, coming up on three years, but if you could take us back to the early days of the pandemic, what kind of mindset did you have as this all began to unfold? And did you would ever think it would last so long and take the lives of so many and impact so many? You know, that that's a great question. And, and, and I'll be honest, it's a little hard to to actually think back to, to when it started. Um, <laughs> uh, February you know, we of 2020, 2020, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, what we were expecting. Um, you know, I, I will say that um, with any new infection um, and any new epidemic, pandemic, um, there is always that fear in the back of your mind that, um, it will be become something um, catastrophic. I think we always hope and we always work towards um, trying to contain them, keep them much smaller. Um, but uh, I think we always did have that um, that little niggling fear, which unfortunately um, turned out to be more more right than we wanted it to be. Um, that it was going to uh, have such a devastating impact in terms of uh, the lives lost, um, and not just the lives lost, but families impacted, uh, kids impacted, uh, people right now still struggling with uh, long COVID. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been hard. As you, as you look today to where we are today, and, and I know – the public health system has just been so taxed. But I think at this point, you know, I guess on the the positive side, at least in my mind, the importance of public health probably has never been so important in the, in the eyes of our community and our public. And is that, is that sadly it's taken something like this to maybe to get that attention? Yes, I I would absolutely um, agree. That's, been the challenge um, pre-pandemic of, of public health. Uh, when we're most effective, uh, nobody realizes it because uh, you don't know you're not getting sick when you're not sick. Um, so people didn't realize um, all that went on, all that, that's gone on um, over the last several decades um, to keep people healthy um, and living longer because of public health. Um, you know, unfortunately, when something like a pandemic comes along, particularly when it comes along at a time that um, public health had been uh, underfunded uh, and sort of crippled uh, for a number of years, um, we really saw um, what does happen when you have a public health system that doesn't have everything it needs to respond the way that we know we should have been able to. We're visiting with Dr. Amy Person, the District Health Officer at the Benton Franklin Health District, and we have one more segment with her, and when we come back with her final segment uh, on Cadillac on Call, we're going to tap into her medical expertise as a pediatrician, get some advice for families and parents as everyone gets ready to head back to school. We'll talk more with Dr. Person right after this. 
You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we're visiting with Dr. Amy Person, the District Health Officer with the Benton Franklin Health District, who, if you have not heard, is taking a new position with the Washington State Department of Health, and I think her tenure here with the Health District in the Tri-Cities area ends next week. And Dr. Person, before we let you go, uh, you are a pediatrician by training, and I know one of the values that uh, you provided this community throughout the pandemic was the expertise that you provided, not only as a public health district officer, but also your expertise as a as a pediatrician in advising parents and families. Um, I guess as uh, we get ready to head back to school, uh, what's your what's your forecast? What's your advice to moms and dads as they get ready to send their children back to school? I think the biggest thing for uh, parents as kids are going back to school um, is isn't going to be uh, so much worrying about the uh, infectious diseases uh, that really took up uh, so much of our, our time and energy over the, over the last couple of years. Um, we're at the point now where uh, between uh, what we know about um, stopping the, the spread of infectious diseases, whether it's COVID, uh, whether it's monkeypox, whether it's measles, uh, we have those tools and and families have access to those tools. Um, I think the bigger thing that parents um, and families need to um, really have on their radar is um, for many kids, uh, the the last couple years have been challenging because uh, the school environment's been different, whether it's been that they've been online or even when they were returning back uh, to school. Uh, So the focus um, now, I think, really needs to be on uh, mental health, making sure that um, kids know they are supported, that their families support them. Uh, So if they have questions, if they're unsure about things, um, that that's okay, that their their families are still going to be supporting them um, and helping them. Uh, if families themselves, you know, if it's a, it's a problem uh, bigger than a family can handle, um, that they know where they can go in the community to get help. But to me, that is really uh, going to be critical um, moving forward. Kids succeed um, when they know they have a, a fallback position, when they know that Home is a safe place. Their families accept them. Um, They are much better able to handle challenges um, that are out there in the real world. So parents need to instill that confidence um, at the same time that they're really saying, um, if you have a problem, come talk to us because we accept you for who you are. Really wise advice. And I think is is it a case of, the silver lining of this, the strain that the pandemic put on everyone, uh, and especially our children, that 
that we can get through difficult times and we get through one of the ways we do that is by communicating when we have issues. Yes. I, I it has really, um, particularly around mental health, um, those challenges, they existed before the pandemic, but the pandemic really um, opened the door to uh, us talking about them uh, more openly as families, as schools, as communities. Um, we are seeing many of our local school districts uh, investing in resources to have additional um, help for mental health and behavioral health resources um, available on their campuses. Um, so again, if if families are struggling or kids are struggling with, with problems that are 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 bigger than moms and dads alone can handle, um, that they know that there is help out there. Just a moment or two left, and I'd like to give you uh, the floor. I, I was just thinking this is the last time we'll get to visit in this venue, and you've been such a great, uh, great resource for this program over the past couple of years. But maybe if you would, just a, a concluding message from this role as a health officer for the folks of Benton and Franklin Counties, and a message from you uh, as you uh, uh, go on to work at a larger role with the state. Well, thank you. Um, it, it definitely has uh, been a uh, wonderful, uh, if somewhat tumultuous, uh, tenure at the health district and, and with this community. Um, as I leave, um, one of the things I take comfort in and that I have confidence in is that there has been a shift in how uh, public health um, is working with the community and the community is working with public health, how our health care organizations and our communi- community organizations um, have joined with public health um, to look at how can we help everyone um, in our community um, be as healthy as they need to be. So I have great confidence that this work is going to continue, that um, we are not just going to all retreat back into our uh, silos uh, once this pandemic is over, but we're going to really cherish and value um, what it means to uh, work side by side, shoulder to shoulder um, with others in the community um, to really lift all of us up. Well, on behalf of everyone I'm associated with in the healthcare world, thank you for your contributions to this community and for improving and maintaining the, the caliber of health in what certainly has been unprecedented times. And uh, we wish you all the best as you move forward. And I know hopefully you won't uh, be a stranger and we'll, we'll continue to communicate down the road. Dr. Amy Person, the Benton Franklin Health District Health Officer, thanks for your time and thank you for your service. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week. 